Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we appreciate you listening. So excited today to have Scott Hamilton, one of the top instructors in America. He's worked with a ton of tour players on the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, college players, top junior players, everyone from beginners all the way up to that level. He's at Cartersville Country Club in Georgia, and let's see if we can get Scott on the line. Scott, I appreciate you being uh, on the podcast. I know you're a busy man and taking some time with us. All you do is teach all day long, it looks to me. I watch you on Instagram all day long. Yeah, yeah, I teach a lot, man. It's uh, either on the road or here, that's for sure. Well, how do you do all that? How do you juggle all that? Because, I mean, you're teaching locally. Uh, how do you balance all that and keep saying, I know our friend VJ Trollio and John Tillery, they do the same stuff. I just, I'm amazed that, I guess you guys just love it. Uh, yeah, what, I mean, really what happens to you is you kind of get, I mean, you know how it is, you get committed to these really good players, and then you get on the road a lot, so then you don't have that much time, so when you're home, you're trying to fill everybody in, like I had Bailey Cardi in the day, and had a kid I teach at Duke in the day, I had the kid that's going to go play at Georgia, so when you're in town, you feel obligated to help these people just because you're not home very much. So, I don't know. It's kind of the personal relationship you have with them. And then the next thing, you work so much that you forget you ever had any other hobbies. Right. So I think that's kind of what's happened to me, man. Well, that, there's a lot of truth. I mean, I, I'm kind of getting off my little, my little uh, guide I have, but I like it that way. How do you? There's got to be pressure because you're dealing with established players a lot of the times, and they're trying to get to that next level. How do you? I mean, I know that's not a secret answer to getting them to that next level, but there's got to be some pressure to do that, though, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I mean, people don't realize. I mean, I travel with Killer all the time, John mm-hmm. Tillery, and you know, it's honestly one of the best things because we kind of talk, we're each other shrink, you know, and it it's it's really is a stressful job, and you know, there's certain people that you can help a bunch, and other people. You know, you can't help as much. Just your what you teach or your style or how you connect with them, or you know what that preconceived notions they have compared to what you have. So yeah, that's a pretty stressful job, really, with the tour guys. The younger guys, they're not that bad, just because it's not. It's it's easy. It's easier to take somebody from high school to college, college to web, than it is to take some PGA tour guy and make him. Uh, uh, 125 on the money list at 50. That's pretty damn difficult because you're down to just very few little nuts and bolts you can screw on at that point in our normal. Yeah, and golfers so, are so fragile uh, mentally. Uh, uh, pro golfers, I don't know if the, you're young, you don't have the scar tissue, but that's one of the things you deal yeah. with too. Guys get in slumps and you try to talk them out of that and how you get them out of that slump. You do. You have to be a shrink yourself uh, on top of being a golf instructor. I mean, yeah, like I, I've been working on Smiley Coffin here the last couple months and I mean, it's just like you, you can make somebody strive, but they still have they still have the memory of all those bad shots that give them anxiety. And, I mean, it's, you know, like I had a era, see who was it, Pricey, Aaron Price caddied for Matt Every. Uh, and then when he got done, which was really cool a few weeks back, and then I called Pricey and asked him about it. And he goes, man, his physical, like, 50% in practice is like, he kind of thinks about this because he played professional golf. So he goes, 50% of this game is, is physical. And he goes, Matt's 
45 to 48 out of 50 on the physical driving craze. He goes, but, you know, the mental part where he's putting stress and pressure on himself, you know, he just didn't 50, 45 out of 50 on that yet. He said he's going that direction, but it's like that, that pressure he's putting on himself and managing that pressure. So, I mean, yeah, it's difficult to, to get a guy and move him up to that next level. And even it's not all mechanics, as you know, it's getting them deep enough mechanics so they can get on a roll and then build up a bunch of confidence. And I think bad habits are something that you kind of, when you get, maybe not nervous, but you get into those bad habits, they come back. They don't usually go away. They're hard to get rid of, aren't they? No. Nah, man. It, you know, I teach a bunch of guys on the PJ Tour, and, I mean, I give the same lesson. There's about one or two things each guy does that you work on. Hudson Swafford runs in front of it. You know, Matt Everett gets it behind him. So there's just there's very few things where I jump out to a tour event and I'm working on something different with a guy. Yeah, it's like our friend VJ Trulio so, calls it tendencies, and we have those tendencies. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. when it comes to instruction. You know, my dad taught me my whole life, and and and, and I wish I maybe done things a little bit different. But I didn't want to know a whole lot about the golf swing. I wanted him to just give me one or two things. I thought about making a good turn and tempo, and I know that sounds simple. But when you hear guys, when they win, it goes to simple terms. They're not complicated. Uh, uh, 100%. That's what's got a little easier about teaching. Uh, I think the evolution of my teaching, I'm like all guys. You start out, you got TV videos, you know, you use some handheld Sony camera in that late 80s. And it's all like swing plane and how the club looks going around somebody and then you get, you know, you evolve and you get a track man, you learn a little more about, you know, club pace, club face and club and the club path and angle attack and that kind of stuff. And then as you evolve, you kind of get more into like the 3d stuff and how the body mm-hmm. works. And, you know, the thing that's a little easier for me now is I do seems like I know more, but I do a lot less of that exact structure teaching and a lot more dynamic stuff, which seems to hold up way better under pressure. Like, yeah, I want to make the guy's shapes correctly so the center of mass is going around them the right way or the middle of the club face. But, you know, if you get somebody in there and you get them in a 3D and you kind of do some leg pelvic stuff that's all dynamic movement and they're not worried about making the club pins perfectly in the perfect place, it's just way easier to teach and you get way better results out of the players because you're not making all these off-speed swings all the and time. And you sometimes yeah. get feel. Uh, for me, it was all about I, – I learned to I, – I had to see it. I, you could – VJ could tell me or my dad could tell me, and it was like another language to me. But once I saw it, yeah. and I saw it on the video because when my dad was teaching, he didn't have video. I mean, he was just gifted with, uh, yeah. you know, the old school, just, you know, teaching when he got the video camera, he had to carry it around like a big news guy, you know, and everything. But how do you keep up with all yeah. that technology? Because it changes almost month to month, year to year. Uh, You know, it's just kind of, I think you either have a passion for it or you don't. I just love mm-hmm. it. Like, I love learning new things about the golf swing. Sometimes that can be to a detriment where you kind of acquire too much information, but you know, I mean, it's like people either, you know, they're they're either afraid of a computer or they're not. You right. know, and I'm not. Like, I like to get in there and dig in there and figure out how to use it. And, and the thing with me is I know I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I'll just go find people that are good at that part of it and spend time with them or have them come help me and, and 
pick their brain and then pick out the parts that I like out of it. The thing that I'm lucky is I've taught some really unbelievable ball strikers like Boo Weekly and Joe Durant and, you know, for years. Just a bunch of guys that hit it really well. So when I get some new technology, I've got the greatest guinea pigs in the world to see, you know, because everybody that manufactures technology generally has an idea how they think you should use mm-hmm. it. And I really, normally, I just run my really good players through there, run my database, my tour guys through there, and girls, and then then see what they do, and then kind of use the that direction. Well, you take, I've, I've heard you quoted, you take complicated information, make it easier. And I think that's what you're trying to get to. And for a lot of times, yeah. the, that technology is more for y'all uh, than sometimes the player. But a hundred percent. You think? A hundred percent. I mean, especially the 3D stuff. The 3D stuff is so I can guess less and know more and say less. Mm. So I can kind of pick out like what the tumor is and then work on that where I'm not kind of guessing because, you know, no, nobody out there has a perfect golf swing. Every golf swing has positives and negatives. You know, some guys can slice their irons and do all kinds of cool stuff like that where other guys can hit big, high, long irons. Other guys spit better. Boo Weekly, the way he smashes it, he's not the greatest guy to hit like a three iron out of the face of a bunker way up in the mm-hmm. air. You know, it's just give and take. So, you know, it's it's like you got to work with whatever the player has. For me, especially at the level I'm at, they're already most of them are on the PGA Tour when I get to the tour guys. They're already out there. So I'm just trying to take what they have, clean up, get them a one-way miss, you know, normally to the right, but they're right-handed. And uh, just, you know, simplify what they do and just try to make it a little more consistent. I tell guys all the time, man, if I can help a tour guy 5 or 10%, I'm really kicking You really are, man. yeah. I mean, it's a fine line yeah. out there, as you know. I mean, my father-in-law, one year I had a struggle. He goes, you know what? Your stroke average is only a half a stroke average worse than Tiger Woods, but you're whatever on the money list. Yeah. I said, well, that's how close it is. Well, how do you balance yeah, How do you balance when you got so many players out there one week? Say you got three or four guys out there at the same week. How do you balance your time with that? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of weeks I had eight guys, wow. you know. But, hey, I, first of all, I normally get out there and track it down and I leave it dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that's kind of struggling is really, you know, those guys I'll, I'll make a point of picking out times for them to be there. And then the other guys, if some guy's striping it, you know, I'll go check them on the range a little bit. They don't care. I'm really particular who I teach, and I kind of tell people that when I get going with them. I'm like, I'm glad to help you, but I teach a lot of people. Uh, so, you know, if you got it going on, uh, I'll help you a little bit with whatever you want to do. But if i got a guy struggling, I want to help them first before I help you. But my guys are all super chill, but it's by design. Right. I think that's the challenge for a lot of instructors when they become as good as you are and, and well-known and, and have so much success is they just got to be aware that it, it's not – it's everybody's time. It's not just me. I mean, everybody's kind of selfish. Yeah. You know, to be great, you have to be a little bit selfish anyway, I've always felt like, and and that's tough for players to balance out and then instruction. But I always felt like once you got to the tournament, it's like cramming for a final. You ain't been to class all semester. You're not going to pass. You know, it's probably too late. I mean, 100%. Like, and the truth of it is, the best work I do is at Cartersville where I have all my stuff, and also they don't have a tea time in two mm-hmm. days. So when I'm at a tour event, man, I'm just trying to, you know, clean guys up a little bit. Check, just like you said, check their tendencies, like BJ says. You know, tighten that up as much as you can. There might be some 
you know, some short game stuff where there's certain turf conditions there and we want to go work on that a little bit. But, you know, and, and, and as I've done this more and more guys have putting instructors and short game coaches than they used to where I used to teach everything to all my guys. So, uh, you know, it, it's worked for me. But the thing is kind of how a guy like me is compensated. I don't know if, if you didn't have, like, one of the top three or four guys in the world I don't know if you could afford to go out there and travel around 30 weeks in the no, year if you had one or two. Well, that's two. why VJ doesn't do it. Yeah, it's you – know? and, you know, that's the thing you guys talk about. You were talking about being compensated. That equipment you're buying, it's not cheap. You're not buying it at Walmart. No. So you got to – you no. know, for to get to a certain level, you got to pay for that technology. Uh, the, the the player has to pay for it. So when people see that, I mean, you guys are putting a lot of money out there between TrackMan and all the 3D cameras and all this. That stuff gets expensive. Yeah, I mean, I have two TrackMans, a 3D, two pressure plates, you know, video that I've changed out of my base. I, I ended up one time for my insurance policy. I think I have close to $300,000 worth of stuff that I purchased. Wow. And, you know, the one thing I could tell young instructors, and, you know, I, I do – quite a few of those education things for people and they're like, how do you become a tour coach and how do you do this? I'm like, it's just like any other business. You're, you've got to reinvest in yourself. You've got to have an entrepreneur spirit. You've got to be not afraid to go buy a track man when you can't really afford one. you got to be able to buy some stuff. Like I built all the teaching bays and paid for them up my club, Cartersville, and I self-invested in it's paid me dividends. So if you're standing around at a small club like I'm at and you think they're going to build your building and put video systems in there and buy you track man, it's not going to happen. And if they do do it, they're going to take all your money anyway. Right. It's not Field of Dreams. So, That's a movie. You know, yeah. It, it, so you got to be able to, you know, all the guys I know that are good at what they do, they've all taken risks and, and bought technology and love it. And the, thing, well, the other thing about the PGA Tour is, it's not like Instagram. All us guys that teach on the PGA Tour are pretty much friends with each mm-hmm. other. And it's not it's not a hate fest out there because everybody knows how complicated it is working with these elite players and how it's a fine line. And, I mean, I'm friends with, with Tillery and Blackburn and Como and Foley. And, I mean, we enjoy each other's company. I see them on the range. There's, you know, Radar Golf and Mayo and DJ and Yelberton and Pierce. We're the same 10 or 12 guys out there every week. We all talk to each other in the range, shoot the ball. You know, I'm not afraid to ask any of them a question. I don't feel like I, I you know, they don't treat me like I'm dumb because I ask them a question. They answer it to the best of their ability. I take out of it what that I need. So, you know, it's kind of more of a kind of a family out there than, than when I watch on the Instagram where people all hating on each other's teaching style all the time. It's really not like Yeah, that. it drives me crazy. And, you know, like when I'm doing Golf Central, I mean, I respect the teaching side of it. I mean, it's there's no perfect way of doing it. And it, you are. We're all in it together. It's nah. kind of the other day. I hadn't played in a couple of years, and the pro wanted me to do an exhibition. And we were with the club champ, a really good amateur, and one of the other senior guys, old guys, young guys. And I told him, I said, guys, we can either harass each other the whole time or be in this together and kind of cheer for each other. Yeah. Because it is. it is. I yeah. mean, you got to share information. It's, you're stupid if you don't ask a question. or There's no dumb questions. Yeah, I mean, and that's where, I mean, the closest relationships I have out there with, obviously, Tillery, BJ, and Timmy uh, Elberton, those are the guys that, like, are my go-to guys. But, you know, I ask the other guys, 
other, you know, I ask Foley stuff, mostly just because Foley's answers are so entertaining. <laughs> yeah. He's like a Buddhist monk or something. You know? <laughs> the guy's a riot. You know, when, Taylor, when but, I text uh, Hillary, I said, all right, give me the redneck version. I mean, I'll be at Golf Central. I said, what's he working on? But give me the version I understand. You know, don't tell me all this other smoke and mirror <laughs> yeah. stuff that I can't make. I remember when VJ got looking at me and he was, because my dad taught me forever and I was just about to turn 50 and my wife wanted me to see VJ and I think he's just a bright guy. And, you know, he asked me, how do I hit a fade? And I said, I don't know. I just stand up there and hit a fade. And he looked at me like I was crazy, but he finally understood that's how I thought. Uh, but we, we yeah. got in the teaching center and I'm hitting these bottle rockets out to the right in the garbage over there because your swing looks great i said oh yeah it looks great but this this golf shot i'm hitting isn't very good but i mean it's you know i had to it was weird because i went back with what dj did i went back to what i was doing well and i look back at old videos and i think you know people laugh at you when you do that but i mean i just think that's wise to go back to get that feeling and to see things that when you had success what you tried to do well, I mean, there's a reason it works. I can't tell you how many times that when somebody, especially if you get an older guy that's had a lot of success and then he starts struggling, you know, then, like, I'll help Carl uh, Peterson a little mm-hmm. bit. So I got on YouTube and looked at all the stuff he did when he was a rock star because he's kind of got a unique action. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel, and he's getting in the sporties. You're not going to change the guy's patterns. So all I'm trying to do is figure out what which one of these little things is not as good as it used to be and try to put it back to where it was to get him going to the point where you can help him more. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I'm continuously, I always ask people, you know, when people go through ruts, and like, especially somebody that played really well, like I've helped Michael Johnson now. He came right out of Auburn. He almost won the tour event over in Alabama, mm-hmm. I think, and then he struggled a little bit. First thing. Send me the best. Send me when you played the best. Let me see it. Let's look at it. Let me understand what line the club face looks so much better then than it does now. It was the best thing you could have done for me because we made two or three adjustments on it. He's been playing really well for like the last couple months. Well, that's what VJ took hours of my tapes and did that. Yeah, you got to do that. I just think it's wise to do all that. But, you know, I always ask my guests or my instructors, I mean, what separates an elite player from the rest? What do they do differently in your opinion? Uh, honestly, you know, I mean, I think about this all the time, and so much of it is it's like the mental aspect of how they approach the game mm-hmm. and how they handle an offline shot. Mm. And it's really whenever guys get to the point where they can't handle the offline shot and it gives them anxiety that they're really in trouble. Like, I taught Aaron Badley three or four years ago, and he had a great year. He, top 10 three or four or five times and he won that one or two events and what i made do with, with bads when i started teaching he was really driving it poorly but he just had to drive it a little bit better and he felt better about himself like his offline shots didn't wreck him yeah and well i have certain guys like blue weekly hit two or three of them in the rough he's lost his mind well when i hit it not that that wouldn't ruin he's just never done it yeah when i hit it when i hit it left it drove me crazy and then when I, you know, I quit playing for several years and try to turn 50 and try to play. And I'd been off for 10 years. And as soon as the ball went left, I'd have like this anxiety. And I think that's, that's yeah. crazy. It's anxiety. It's the craziest thing that you could be mentally off like that. I mean, Tiger always hated this to go left. I mean, people that hit a predominantly certain way, you're right. The miss gets to him. It drives him crazy. Uh, I think that's this. Hey, but 
it really is hard to put your finger on. It's like I was down on the range this week. I was out in Vegas, came home Wednesday night. Every time I see Brian Gay on the range, I'm like, that guy is a pit bull, mm-hmm. man. Like, how in the world is he – he's been out there forever. I mean, five foot eight or seven, not tons of gas. I mean, just out there every year making cuts, making money. I mean, the guy's amazing. I mean, you know, they're like the kid I had in my teaching day today, this kid from Duke. He's six foot two, 128 ball speed. Damn, that kid would love to have a career that Brian Gay had. Absolutely. Some college player. Yeah. I mean, so it's so hard, like, asking that question. That's such a hard thing to define, like, Kevin Kisner, man, the guy's a rock star. He's 150 pounds, 145 pounds, 5'8", you know, not super speedy. But, I mean, just tenacious as hell. So there's there's definitely that huge mental aspect of it, how they organize themselves, how they practice. You know, the guys that I see that normally are the really good players don't hit millions and millions of golf balls. But when they're on the range, they're there with a purpose. Mm. The guys that I watch that hit tons of range balls and they look like they're doing something different every week. They're getting a different driver every week. And, you know, they might be a, a 80th to 120th player. But those elite players, man, they're out there on the range with purpose every time I see them. But especially the top 10 or 12. A guy like Dustin Johnson that people really don't know that much about, like, personally, they all think he's just a big kind of an athlete guy. That guy has a little mess when he gets on the range where he hits his wedges, runs his track, man, does his business. I mean, he's out there with a purpose. So it's kind of the organization of how you practice, the mental aspects you have, how you handle failure. I mean, there's just so many points of it that just add up to a tour guy. What's funny is when you meet one of them, like this little Buck Brumlow kid that's getting ready to go to Georgia that grew up at the club, I just think about this kid. He's, he, he's a really great little junior player. And the advantage he's had where he's grown up at a club, he's played 50 rounds with PGA Tour players from being there. So he's not going to roll into Georgia and play with the fourth-year senior that thinks he's the guy and being intimidated. Mm, that's true. You know, I'm like, just advantages like that are so big. Well, that's why those kids come out on tour events. They're in college, and they get up, they get their card. They've played in tour events. They've played against the best. They've been around the best. I mean, what VJ's done over at Old Waverly with all those kids, they've been around tour players. They're not intimidated. I mean, I got to see Billy Kratzer hit the ball, and I was, you know, about to die. You know, I did. I wasn't around tour players. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, you hit it on the on the head. It's mentally, I think something else you hit good was practice with the purpose. Dr. Coop would always stress that. And it's organization. I mean, that's what makes those great college players because they have to have time management in college and as a pro. I mean, they're going to be yeah. able to do all those things. But uh, I want to talk about you. We hadn't even talked about you, but how did you get started in the game yourself personally? Uh, I was raised uh, in a little small town in southern Missouri named Carthage, Missouri. We had a nine-hole municipal course, and it was really cheap. Uh, you know, we weren't broke, but we didn't have much money. Kind of, you know, how it used to be back when I was a kid. You're so kind of normal if you didn't have a lot of money. And you know, it was 35 bucks to play all year. And I could go walk and play all one. And my mom played golf, and she kind of got me into it. And then my stepdad played quite a bit of golf, and I'd play with him. 
And I just kind of was – I loved all other sports. I lo- really liked baseball and football. But, you know, I'm five foot eight, and, you know, I could run about a 6040. <laughs> so it's not like I could do anything else. But, you know, I kind of just loved the game. And then I, you know, I went to college at Mizzou, and then I ended up out of there. I went down to – I did have a golf professional that was a – I thought a lot of, and I asked him about getting in the golf business. And he told me the first thing he said is don't do mm-hmm. it like every golf pro you ever talked to. And this was this was me wanting to be a club pro. But he said if you're gonna do it, he goes, Go somewhere famous because if you work at a famous place, he goes, It's so easy to get a, your first head pro job. So not knowing anything, because I was just a little idiot that raised in Southern Missouri and never traveled. I went down to Hilton Head and I worked at Harbor Town for two and a half years. I worked at Hague Point. He gave me great advice there. I got the job at Cartersville like in 93 when I was 27 or 28 years old. Been there ever since. And it was an old school job where I owned the shop and I got a little base salary and I got a little bit of the carts and and I needed to make some more money to pay my invoices over the winter. So the first thing I got was like a, the kids called it an ice cream cart. I had a cart I could pull behind a, a golf cart and had a video camera and an eight millimeter player and a tv in there and then i then i figured out then about 97 or 8 i built a one building down there you know i paid i think i spent like eight thousand dollars on it which was a ton of money for me back mm-hmm. then with a roll-up door and got the six cameras well you think about that was probably 97 98 i was the only guy around that had a setup like that in north georgia so i popped every junior in north georgia right and just got rolling that way, 25 bucks an hour, 40 bucks an hour, 60 bucks an hour, then 80 bucks an hour. So the one thing that I've done that a lot of guys, and Hillary's done the same thing, and DJ's done the same thing, I've watched a million terrible golfers hit golf balls. Mm. Well, if you can fix a, man, if you can fix a 20 handicap a little bit, if you can make a 20 and 18, working on the sword players like taking a vacation. That's what my wife said. She so, wanted to know that question because she asked that question. It's true. I mean, it's simple. Once you get past that, and I mean, you guys can do whatever you want to do. If I tell you to shout a little bit or turn your left shoulder behind it, I mean, the the you know, you got the lady in there that's got the really slow club end speed, and she's hitting her driver not to the one fifty pole. It's hard to do much with, mm-hmm. you know. It's just the spatial consciousness and all that. But the couple big breaks I got was I was really doing good with the juniors. I had all the good juniors. I had a kid, Brian Odom, and Jay Steph that grew up here. Brian ended up going playing at Georgia with an All-American. He's the head coach at Kennesaw mm-hmm. now. Jay Steph was another kid. He played at Augusta State. So I had two good guys who gave me a little bit of credibility. And then Jason Bone moved to my town. Yep. And I started teaching him. He was on the Canadian tour and taught him up through a tour win. That gave me credibility, which helps you. You need in my world. But then the biggest break I got was I was out on tour and I got to be friends with Rob Waters. And Shrixon and Cleveland merged and they had two web trailers and they needed somewhere to park the web trailer, the extra Cleveland web trailer to fit many tour guys and tour guys. And I allowed them to park it behind my building because my little redneck club didn't care there's a trailer parked on the driving range <laughs> where, you know, the athletic club ain't going for that. No. And that gave me a gateway. I met Dumpy with Cleveland, Jolly, and we just brought, I met Will Flax and Lee Williams and Boo Weasley and Stevie Bowditch and 
they all came to mind of the range. Well, anybody that's done any teaching, you get a tour player down there, and they're struggling. I mean, you get a, a, a any tour player, and that guy's struggling, and there's a teacher down there. Those guys will listen to anybody that'll tell them anything. Yeah, even the courtesy so car driver. It's like the perfect storm. Yeah, I got you know, I helped Lou Williams. I helped Flaxton. I mean, it was just so easy because I was down there. I taught one tour guy a little bit of credibility. And they came in. I got a pretty good setup where I had a couple bays with a couple fixed cameras. I half-assed down like I know what I was doing, and I made some of those guys better, and that just got me rolling. You know, you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned Georgia. There's a lot of great teachers and instructors in Georgia. Of course, a lot of good players. Why is that? Do you know? Why Everybody just – it's amazing. Just guys like you and got, kind of fed off of that and kind of kept the thing going. There's a ton of good instructors in Georgia. I, you know, I don't know why we've been so lucky to have a bunch of bunch of good guys. I mean, Seattle and all that, that's just because, just I mean, it's a badass place and it's probably pretty cool to work there. But, like, where me and Tillery, you know, Tillery was working. I was working at Cartersville, and he was working at some other little club over there that was a cool little club that's just about like Cartersville. Now, he's moved up the food chain now to Cuscarilla, so he's highfalutin now compared to me. But, uh <laughs> You know, it's just, you know, I don't know how there's been it. I mean, hadn't really ever thought about it before. I guess there's just so much golf down here. And, uh, yeah, know. I just kind of went through the list, play. and I saw these guys. I was like, man, he teaches there. He teaches in the state. You've got a ton of good players, too, which also helps. But, yeah. you know, that today everybody's talking about bomb and gouge, and I, and I asked VJ this. We had a little podcast a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we've seen what Bryson's doing. I mean, are kids walking in and players walking in? Are they trying to – I mean, are they going towards that? You see people kind of building up and all that with some of the kids you're instructing now, trying to hit it further and further? Well, the deal is, to be honest with you, the kids don't need to try to hit it further. And I have this conversation all the time. I've got every college kid, the kid I got in from Duke right now, I guarantee you he can crank one out of there, 128, 29, not even really giving it all he's got. This high school kid I was talking about, Buck, he's 27, 28, 127, 28. Kids, everybody, the skinniest little college kids you ever see that walks in your bay that plays at a real college, like he plays at Ole Miss or he plays at Georgia or somewhere like that, they're 120. Every one I know. Of them. I mean, every one of them. It's crazy the speed that's coming the way of the PGA Tour. And it's not going the other way. It, actually, I was on the range last year doing an interview with uh, Golf Week when they had the whole ball thing going on, and they kept talking about how hot the ball was. And they, I forget which one of the guys were interviewing me. And I'm like, man, I know the ball's better than it used to be, but what you don't realize is how much better the athlete is. Mm-hmm. I never had a girl I taught that ever swung at 100 miles an hour until about three years ago. I have seven of them i've got one girl that swings at 112 oh gosh i mean i've got a pile of girls like bailey tardy and and uh madison caldwell i got all kinds of girls that are 105 106 i mean that's i, I mean I, I started playing in the throne man i bust that thing about 99 miles an hour right now i'm 54 i mean they're flying it over me when i go play well i'm still at 103 and i'm 59 you're right i mean it's it's amazing i mean everybody's and it's what's so strange we have these discussions on golf channel it drives me crazy but it's like why do we want to dial everything back we're the only sport or anything in life that wants to go backwards 
I mean, I know you want to protect the game. I mean, yeah, game. you want to slow the 100 meter down? I mean, that's a retarded. Yeah, it is. But, and if people don't go out there to see me popcorn it out there, they want to see the bomb. I mean, you watch the highlights on the Golf Channel where it show, like, I was flipping the second the other show, like, or on the internet, I was looking and they showed DeChambeau hitting it up over on a par four in one. Yeah. You know? I mean, people love that, but. You know, but the thing is, I really did, like, maybe four years ago, I really took a notice, and I hadn't really thought about it, but I walked over to the first tee at Quill Hollow, and I'm standing on the first tee, and I'm looking around, and I grew up, you know, I'm 54, am I 54 or 55? I might be 55, I forgot. <laughs> but I, I walked over on the first tee, and Hudson Swafford, like, see now, Patrick Kazire was over there, uh, God, who was another monster. And I'm like five foot eight, and I'm looking around going, am I in an NBA game here? I mean, the the players from when I started out there till now are so different in the size, the stature. They're all over six foot, the most of them. I mean, just big guys that just have a lot of gas. Well, that's when the long drive, and I was long. I was the top five or ten on tour, and uh, it was Wedgie Winchester came out in 84, did all that stuff. But when we got to the late 80s, early 90s, these guys looked like basketball players. They're 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". You're right. I mean, people just got bigger. Uh, and, and they're going to generate some club head speed. That's Those guys are amazing. I've watched them hit it, and it's just stupid long how far they, they can hit it. But you mentioned you, you work with you know the girls and the boys or the guys and the gals, whatever you want to call it. It's always a little trickier coaching the girls versus the guys. Uh, what are some of those challenges when you have with the girls versus the guys? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't really don't have a whole lot of – I love teaching the girls. They're – a lot, of, a lot of times they haven't had the best instruction, mm-hmm. so it's kind of easy to make big strides with them. Uh, I'm rough as a cop, so they kind of know that when they go in there. I tell them that up front, man. Uh, so I really don't, like, I love my girls that I teach, and, and they're, I mean, the big thing with the girls is some of them are really hypermobile. Like, you get them on a 3D, they have way huger range of motion. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal to see a girl in there that, the pelvis is open 70 degrees at impact and their shoulders open 30, mm. you know? So it's like, that. if they got a lot more, it's way easier for them to get a lot of runoff in the back of their golf swing. It's hard for them to kind of level their pelvis out the right time. Those are more of the challenges. So like personality wise, I really, you know, and I really didn't teach you any girls for maybe three or four years ago, but I've really got where I love it. Like, I, I mean, if you'll look at my Instagram, I teach a bunch of girls and have a great time. Too. Well, I'm a dad with three, I got three daughters, so I'm a girl dad. So I get it, and they listen. And you're right. You know, when you talk to some of these LPGA players and guys that work with them, they didn't have the instruction. They weren't taught anything, and yeah. they're like sponges. They want to learn. Yeah. They want to learn. Jillian Hollis, uh, Bailey, they all played against my daughter Kathleen, uh, and it's fun to watch them. Uh, you know, out there on the LPGA, Bailey's going to get out there soon. Uh, but it is amazing to watch them and how much better they got. I don't think the LPGA players get enough credit for how good they are uh, until you sit. No, they're they're good, real man. good. Jilly stayed with us over the corona break. I bet she stayed here a half, two and a half months or something. The, the guys at the club absolutely loved her. She played in the men's gambling game. She beat the absolute crap out <laughs> of them. She was never my partner, but one day she's the best putter ever. 
the one day she's my partner, I think she makes one birdie. Every other day I play with her, she makes seven. <laughs> so, you know, against her. So, I mean, she's, she's gamey. She's a gamer. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're busy. You're you're one of the top instructors in the country, one of the busiest guys. And, and you're friends with VJ and, 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 and Tillery. Those are all good guys, and obviously you're a good dude too. So but we appreciate you being on the podcast. And uh, – Good luck to all your players, and uh, one of these days I'm going to come down. You can't help an old goat like me, but I want to come down and see the facility. I think it's called The Shed. Am I right? Oh, yeah, The Shed. That's a, that's a cool name. <laughs> come on down. I'll man. do it. All right, brother. Thanks for being on. All right. Thank Thanks. you. See you,